Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Laura podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. So you send me questions and I answer them. I try and get to as many as I can, but I know I can't get to them all and I will try to get to you if I haven't in the past. (laughs) So here we go. First, this is from Julie Shore Yoga. What do you recommend for pubic symphysis discomfort ache during pregnancy? I know that many women have this. This is when the the area between the two sides of the pubis, one side is uh, the two pubis bones make up the pubic bone. There's two sides. And in between, there's a very, very large fibrocartilage Collagenous piece called the pubic symphysis that brings together the two sides of the pubic bone. And as the the body gets ready for birth, the ligaments have become more lax and this area becomes more mobile. And whenever somebody has stuff around the pubic bone, I immediately go to the sacrum because they're very related because one side of the ilia is that's like the entire side of one pelvis. So you have a right side and left side and they come together there at the pubic bone, but they also come together in the area um, of the SI joint. And so those, if something's going on in the pubic symphysis, I look at the sacrum and see if it happens to come from there. Giving someone more stability around there can help. There are belts and whatnot. Um, None of those really worked for the people that I know, including myself. I had a little bit of this, with my first pregnancy, I was on my feet all day uh, in a, at a physical therapy clinic. And I would say by about eight months, I was starting to get some really sharp pubic pain. It didn't last very long. I was really lucky. And I do think moving helps for sure because it was really when I would be standing or after sitting and coming up. So that's when things can readjust. So I would say the best thing to do is... Uh, Get on your back and do a a low bridge pose or a posterior pelvic tilt. 
And that might help the back part of it. You know, that might help at the sacrum. Putting a block between your knees and lightly squeezing, um, well, sometimes you'll even get a little pop because the pubic bone will get back into some sort of alignment. So realigning the, the sacrum and the pubic bone, the two things that I find have really helped then unloading that and, and um, there, there are ways of, you know, like literally just taking your baby and lifting the baby up. Like if you're holding yourself, like as if you could hold the baby, but you're actually holding underneath the belly and then just kind of unweighting it with your own arm. You might naturally do that and find some relief. I don't think there's any, um, you know, things out there that you can buy that would do that. But those are the biggest things I would say. And then working in goddess squat, if that feels good, if you haven't, if your pubic bone is a little bit out of whack, it might not feel great. So I would start with the being on the being on the ground and doing a posterior tilt. And congratulations, I hope I hope that uh, that goes away, Julie Shore Yoga, or if it's uh, somebody else that you're working with. Then on that note, um, Beaton underscore us said, standing all day. Any recommendations? So. A lot of people don't stand, you know, they are sitting all day. So that's standing all day, sitting all day. Neither one is great if you're not moving in a variety of ways. So what I would say is make sure that if you're standing, almost move your feet like you were on a treadmill, like just kind of, and it might be feel kind of goofy if you're standing and you're, I don't know, like at a cash register, for instance, that might be weird, but hey, why not? Nobody's going to watch what you're doing move your move in some way and it doesn't have to be fast it can just be like there's a constant degree of movement and changing because it's the it's the not changing positions when you're either sitting or standing all day that can that can cause some issues and then of course make sure that your footwear is okay that your um, posture is okay that you're going to the wall every once in a while and and checking in with your triple S, which if you haven't tuned in before, is the back of the skull, the back of the scapula, and the back of the sacrum, forming that upright spine. The neutral spine is really important when you're standing because if you stand not well, it's going to impact your spine. Not so much in the way it does when you're sitting by loading the low back, but it will impact it by putting more pressure at different parts where that are not in alignment. So I would say pay attention to your posture, have some degree of movement um, as you're standing and check in with the surface that you're standing on and your footwear. If you can take your shoes off, great, that's even better. It's hard. I know some people work, like I've talked to some people who work at like Staples, where it's like they're on a concrete floor. I don't, I I mean, I just don't know what you're going to do with that because that's a terrible surface to have to stand on all day. Concrete is is um, gives you no return energy like you have from the from a other ground surfaces, so it's hard. I don't. I really don't know. So I've had and people that have worked at Staples have asked me, and I because they will get pain in their joints, just kind of like ache, and it has a lot to do with that they're standing on concrete all day. It's like when people walk around New York. If they walk on the sidewalk, sometimes if they're not used to that. It can they'll they'll feel achy the next day. It's not like they went running or something, but the concrete is really really tough on the body. Okay, so Jay Regnard asked me, could you talk about the history of yoga? Oh well, see, this is what happens. I read these as I'm going. Um, the history of yoga, wow, it's really in depth. 
I'm not going to talk about it in a long way right here, but I am going to have my friend who is kind of an expert on this on and who is just amazing. He's a a philosopher and a, a professor at a college and I will have him on. We were going to do it the last time he was in town, but we had too many other things we were doing. History of yoga is vast, but it's really, really misconstrued by people who are passing on the talk of yoga. They kind of put it in this little box, almost like the Bible, and then never look at it as relevant to today's world. Like we wouldn't be operating the same way that the Israelites did because we have different, you know, our code of ethics might be the same, but there's things they did that um, don't really register for today's world. And so in that same vein, studying early yogic text um, is very interesting. But what we're what I'm more interested in is how do we apply that to our daily life? So there's a period of yoga that I do go over in my training, um, which is in the early AD period. So not 5,000 years ago, but more like two, you know, 2,000 years ago. And we... And, and, and there's some very relevant concerns or I- ideas of how we operate in the world, how we conduct ourselves, our social norms, and then our inner, you know, our inner values. And ahimsa being one of them. So I really, really subscribe to practicing ahimsa in in all forms. So yoga history is long, but what I'm more, what I'm most interested in is how can we apply it to today's world. It doesn't really, we would never in any other, in any other kind of subject matter, would we, would we attempt to stay where we were 5,000 years ago? I I don't, but somehow in yoga, you kind of, we've codified it to make it like very rigid. And the practice of yoga 5,000 years ago is very, very, very different. And it wasn't really open to everyone. It wasn't practiced in all the different caste systems. And so I, I don't think that, looking at that and trying to apply that to now makes a lot of sense. It's interesting to look at it from that has, you know, what was their goal at that time and and how, what is the thread line through time, through history and the practice of it? Yeah. So there is very, I, I'm going to bring somebody who's an expert on to talk about that. That's a great question though, because it is interesting and I think it's relevant. Um, we always want to know from where things evolved. Okay. Next question from Nicole Prenton. What are possible causes of tendonitis in the elbow? So the when anyone has tendonitis in the elbow, even if it's like very specific to a sport, you know, tendonitis in the elbow is common for people who play tennis and golf, but it's also common for people who don't play those sports. I always look at the shoulder. The shoulder is often the source of that, uh, the shoulder alignment. So what you're doing with that arm and that's causing that it's tendonitis is a, a repetitive strain on the connective tissue, the, the tendon that connects the muscle to the bone. And so right at that place where muscle um, changes, thins out and attaches to bone is the tendon and tendon's composition is different than the muscle. It has collagen and elastin and it... Um, it can stretch for sure, but it also can get strained when there is a repetitive action done to it without, usually there's some kind of counterbalance. So for the elbow, similar to the knee, it's it's often just the victim. It's not doing 
it's not the problem. It's the alignment of the shoulder, the more proximal joint, just like I would look at the hip if somebody has knee issues. That isn't to say I would ignore the position of the wrist. I would look at that as well in weight bearing. Is the wrist, so if the the wrist joint is not in a neutral position as you're weight bearing, that will come up, the, the energy from the ground coming up through the hand, through the wrist joint into the two forearm bones will have a different effect if that wrist joint isn't in line. When you have your hands on the ground, where is the wrist? Is it directly under the shoulder? Is it forward of the shoulder, say like in a plank or side plank? But what it, what's happening in, in plank at the core, if the core is not being held together really on all sides, the whole cylinder of the core being supported, then the strain will go from the shoulder into the elbow and then into the wrist. Anywhere along that chain can get affected. So I would look at the alignment, what you're doing um, when you're weight-bearing, and then when you're not weight-bearing as well, because some people just do something repetitively, whether it's picking something up over and over again if you're weightlifting, and what are you doing proximally that could be impacting your elbow? So that's what I would say. Look at your shoulder, look at your shoulder alignment, look at your scapula stabilizers, including going into the, um, the abdominal core muscles. How are those being affected? And um, because I know Nicole, and I know you tend to have anterior tilted pelvis and, and the ribs have flared, that is a, a huge kind of red flag for elbow tendonitis. Because when your pelvis tilts, then your rib cage, their thorax has to move as well, which displaces your shoulder and your scapula. So that all will end up um, affecting the elbow. That's how important the pelvis is. So next question. This is by Clarita55 or Clarita55. Do you ever practice rolling on the toes from up to down dog? If not, why? I do not practice it. I'm not sure what the purpose is. It was an Ashtanga thing where you kind of rock back and then flipped over the toes simultaneously. And yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure what the reason for that is. I know, for instance, like ballerinas that practice purposely being on toe and weight bearing on their toes in that manner have a lot of issues with their feet. Uh, to go from that position of flexion to, to um, extension at the toe joint is in that manner. It doesn't really make sense to me. It doesn't feel great. So why don't I practice it? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The reason, the reason people did that was first, this is my interpretation, was first when they would lower and they do that little kind of back thing, like shift back and then thrust forward, because it really does look like a thrust forward going to up dog. Uh, some of the energy was generated from the toes to do that. So there's like a rock back and then push forward. Doing that, what it does do is it pushes people often into the pelvis, into the sacrum, so it um, compresses that area. That's what I find when you flip both feet simultaneously, because think about it, flipping both feet simultaneously requires that you sh- that your body move forward. Flipping one foot at a time does not require that because it's a flip place on top of the foot, flip place on top of the foot, the pelvis hasn't shifted forward. Therefore, when the pelvis isn't shifted forward, the sacrum, the low back is not being compressed. That's the number one reason I don't do it is because I don't like the action I see at the at the low back. The second reason is, is it a bad move for the foot? I, I don't know. It's not functional. It's not, um, it doesn't 
totally makes sense to me. And I feel like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I I don't think it's terrible, but I think more the moat, like if you were to say, what is the main reason? The main reason is what that action of flipping on at the same time onto your tops of your feet does. And it drives you into your low back. So instead, what I do is I say from plank, lower, and then flip one foot at a time. You haven't moved forward. And then you get the pullback like you have with Cobra. If you're in up dog, you pull back in the same way. And that pulling back is then supported by the pelvis staying lifted, the low back not being compressed, and you get really the upper back involved. If you do the flipping action, you aren't getting as much upper back, but you're going right into your low back. So I hope that answered your question about flipping on the toes. I don't recommend it. I don't teach it and I don't practice it. Okay. This is always a question that I get, and I think I got it last week, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with it. Leslie McKee asked, can you discuss why you're such a big fan of dolphin? Here's why, because I get this question all the time, and I did answer this in another Q&A, but I will say the bullet points. One, it's, a, it's, it's, the big, it's such a big bang for your buck. You're getting shoulder strengthening. You're getting shoulder mobility. You're getting the entire back fascial line. So if you think about putting on footy pajamas, where you step into footy pajamas, they cover your feet, and then you zip up the front, the back fascial line is at the bottom of the toes, across the foot, across the heel, you know, behind the calf, hamstring, glutes, um, back, the whole back, into the shoulders, across the back of the neck, across and above and over the, the skull. So it's a long, long line. Well, when you get in that inverted position and and forming a triangular shape, you are pulling on it in a great way because it's active. So active stretching, you're actively opening up that fascia. You're actively um, setting the neuromuscular brain mapping for holding a coactive trunk, meaning you're holding your front ribs up. They're not splaying. You're not sinking into your armpits. When you're on your forearms, you have a shorter lever arm, which puts more demand on the proximal muscles at the shoulder. Where versus like a down dog, you can really let a lot, you can let things loose. You have a much longer lever arm, you can sink into your shoulders, and then that creates this whole sinking kind of quality. You cannot do that well in dolphin. It really promotes that um, direct energy uh, activation into your shoulder muscles. So it is amazing. And almost everybody needs scapula um, strengthening. And this will do it. What People, why people don't like it is it pulls on the back fascial line. They feel like really tight in their shoulders. They feel tight in their back. Uh, that's okay. All of those things are going to be normal and, and you have to do something about it. So you can bend the knees a lot, come way up on the toes, but suction the belly up into the low back, keep the neck relaxed, keep the elbows in a more narrow uh, stance. Don't let them go way out to the side because your shoulder joint isn't in the best position. But practice it daily. It's, it develops incredible patience. But you will, you, I promise if you practice it daily, it will improve and you will learn to love it and you will see how doing it carries over into other activities. Okay, so uh, let me skip a couple here. Um, Omarisa, my right arm is much stronger than my left. How do I balance it? That's a great question and it's very common. We have always, we have some imbalances. So for instance, I just answered the question of dolphin. I also do funky dolphin. Well, the reason I do that is because of this. 
we inevitably have sides that we prefer, that we favor, that are stronger, and that we're mapped in our brain mapping. If you if you looked at brain mapping like a GPS, um, it's picking the fast route. So, you know, sometimes on your GPS or, or Waze or whatever you're using, um, it will give you like four routes. And the fastest route is the one that's usually selected. Well, that's the same in your brain. So if your right shoulder is stronger than your left, your brain knows that. So it's going to go there more. And what does that do? That just reinforces the strength in your right and the left. So in physical therapy world, we call it forced use. You have to force the use of the less dominant, weaker side for it to work because your brain is not going to self-select for that. So like in dolphin, you try try dolphin, but then keep the left forearm down and bring the right hand in line with the left elbow. And it will force the use of the left shoulder more. It will force the use of the scapula stabilizers more, of the left side of the obliques more. You have to do those things of forced use because it will um, create more balance there. It's the same principle as doing like a side plank, doing it on both sides and then really, really paying attention on your weaker side, quote unquote, paying attention to the alignment, putting your hands on your body and making sure that you're activating your core muscles to support that alignment. So it is possible. And you, those are the things you have to do. You have to force the use and that will require taking your right arm out of the game. So, okay. One, let's do another question here. This is from Terry NY14. Has knee pain when squatting? I get that question a lot as well. Knee pain when squatting. Well, I have I would have to look at you. I can't um, say by not looking at your movement. That is one thing that I can give you ideas of what is generally going to be occurring. But at the end of the day, if I look at you, I can examine it. And that's so I would say, A, if you're having pain and it's really impeding you know, your daily life and function, go and see a physical therapist for sure, because we will look at your biomechanics. The biomechanics is what's causing the knee pain with squatting. The primary reason people have knee pain with squatting that in, in what I have seen is that um, you're tilting in the pelvis, you're tipped your pelvis forward. And when you tip the pelvis forward, so the pelvis is are the is the bone the two sides of the bone that is in the center of your body right and your femur your thigh bone comes up to meet the pelvis where the femur meets the pelvis and moves within the pelvis is your hip joint so your hip and your pelvis are not the same thing the hip is a joint the pelvis is the skeletal structure so the pelvis tilting the pelvis can tilt over the femur, the ball of the femur. And when it does that, it's doing that because the front body is shortened. So for instance, you're sitting a lot or you've gotten a lot of tightness in your hip flexors and you go to stand and that tissue is pulled. And when it's pulled, instead of keeping like the spine upright, your pelvis will tilt to accommodate it. And it tilts usually forward. All right, so you take that position and you start bending your knees in a squat and the femur that thigh bone that goes from knee to pelvis is already in a position before you've even started bending. It's already in a position of driving the energy down into the knee because the ball of the femur, the, the top end of it that's sitting in the pelvis has been tipped, has been pushed forward with the t- tip of the pelvis. So it's already 
probably going to drive down into the knee instead of what's called posterior glide of femur, which is what really needs to happen when you're squatting. So that ball of the femur going back toward the glutes as you squat. So that I would say, analyze your squat. You can always send me a video and I can um, you know, make a comment on it. But most likely you are tipping at the pelvis and then adding insult to injury, so to speak, is when you're squatting, a lot of personal trainers will tell you to lift your chin and keep your chin up. And by doing that, you are actually probably exaggerating the pressure into the knee. Because when your chin is up and you're into in that cervical lordosis, your lumbar spine goes into more lordosis, which is part of the anterior tilt of the pelvis. That's a lot of PT language. It's hard to explain that it would be like, take me no time at all if I had you in front of me. But I wanted to give you all of the rationale. It could be because of your ankle. A lack of good range of motion in the ankle will also make your knee try and substitute for that. So you have to look and see, do you have adequate dorsiflexion of the ankle? So dorsiflexion is if you were bending over in a squat and your heel remains on the ground, how well, how much you can flex at the ankle. So if you get to a point, certain point and your ankle feels stuck for any reason, your knee will go forward to do the same action. And maybe your heel will lift. That's why I always say, I don't want your heels coming up because I want people to um, maintain their ankle dorsiflexion. So I hope that helps you, but check out your form, check out your standing position. So if you're standing with that tipped pelvis, that will not work well. All right, so that is the end of the Q&A today. There's so many great questions that you guys send me. Keep sending them. I will answer them. And you can also send them to lara at movementbylara.com. Please rate this. Uh, so some of you will just take a screenshot that you listen to it. But if you rate the podcast and subscribe, take a screenshot of that and send it to podcast at movementbylara.com and we will send you a free link for a class if you aren't already on my Lit Daily. Remember, I have classes online on my Lit Daily platform. We have a daily class that comes up so you don't have to make the choice. It's called, it's to counter the Netflix conundrum when you have too many choices. So it's almost like going into a studio and you just take the class, whatever is in front of you. However, you always have a choice of anatomy-based classes on there. And then there's some 15-minute classes, there's some slow flows, there's some beginner classes. It's all good fun. And we're always adding more. So I love your feedback on that as well. But if you haven't tried those classes, give them a shot. First of all, we work on neutral pelvis in every single class. So for anyone who's squatting and having pain, you've got to take my classes because we will fix that for sure. And you can find that out at movementbylara.com. We have a free trial and um, you can always send me recommendations for classes as well. Thanks for listening. Have an awesome day. As always, I'm pulling for you. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're 
so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you